Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into Sense and Sensibility, chapters 40 through 44. Yes. And it's been a while for us since we have <laughs> it has. recorded Sense and Sensibility because we got to a certain point and I was like, we've got to catch up on some foot peaks. <laughs> and then it started to feel a little overwhelming to have so many Sense and Sensibility episodes and no Peaks episodes. So right. now we're caught up <laughs> to being even. <laughs> yes. And this is the penultimate chapter set for us. We're almost yes. there. It's crazy. This, it's like gotten to like, it's pretty much all my favorite from like this set. <laughs> uh huh. I could see that. I did find chapter 44 particularly frustrating because of the oh. character i but love that chapter <laughs> <laughs> it's very good but i just i i was imbuing a lot of my own emotions into it and how oh, i yeah. would react which is Definitely. clearly not how they should react but <laughs> i just can't well, help I, it. I like yeah i can't wait to get to that one too because mm-hmm. Again, that one's not in the Emma Thompson version, and I feel like there's so much interesting stuff going on in it that I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really interesting chapter. Are we being too cryptic? (laughs) (laughs) The will be (laughs) right. It's a will be quote unquote apology tour, is what I call it. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, So unsatisfying and yet satisfying at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, in a way. Yeah. But um, what was your, do you have your first impressions of some sort? Mm, let's see if I can remember. Because I definitely saw the Emma Thompson one long mm-hmm. before I ever read Sense and Sensibility. And I think I read it in college. I don't know if I mentioned that already. But I think in uh-huh. my women's and literature class, we read it. But it wasn't until like maybe five years later that I really started to get into Jane Austen. And okay. when I did, I can't recall. I think I watched the the BBC one that we just watched, uh-huh. the 80s one. I think I watched mm-hmm. that before I read the book. And so I had the two oh, versions back to back. And I was like, okay, there's a lot of differences in these. First of all, there's no <laughs> sister, no third sister right. in the BBC <laughs> one. But there's this whole Willoughby scene. But so I was finally read it and I was like, okay, so there is a sister and there's Willoughby C. (laughs) (laughs) Like now we just need to mash them up together and that's the book. (laughs) Yeah. And this time reading it, I think I really liked the Marianne illness because it's so not as rushed in the book and it doesn't seem to come from the same place as they always make it come from in the movies, you know? Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, I kind of had the same thing where I was like, oh, this, like the vibe of the chapter, like it was still definitely got to a serious point, like with her illness, but it didn't seem as like, oh, she's outside and she's wet and she collapsed and now she's suddenly (laughs) sick. It's like, okay, she's kind of like, which is more realistic. Like she's slowly getting more and more sick because she's not taking care of herself. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. And it's more like a cumulative over time and it could probably just be like a regular old sickness just because she's like wandering in the evenings outside every night yeah (laughs) yeah i agree it's not like um, a huge rainstorm comes and she collapses and And they have to carry her inside and not that i don't appreciate that (laughs) right it's just a fun drama to it yeah i will say it was very 
it was very interesting to see how different the book makes it. And I kind of, I see why maybe they choose the other way in the movies, just because it's more dramatic. It has a bigger effect on you, but. And, you know, it's kind of hard to portray someone being like rambling around for several days and like, you know, maybe saying, I don't, I feel fine. I feel fine. You know, it just works better in, you know, a movie format to break it down to that. Exactly. And, you know, that's basically what we were doing anyway. It's just we're being a little more rational about it in the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> uh, but did you have any other first impressions? What about Willoughby? I So for that specific area, I found it, I liked the inclusion of it. I liked the conversation. I just, in a way, I found it a little unsatisfying and I think that's maybe me um, like a personal issue not the book because I always love a just desserts kind of thing and Mm. a like immediate (laughs) kind of reaction where it's like okay well they did this and now here's the result and their life sucks now uh and (laughs) that's not exactly what happens so it was a little bit unsatisfying disappointed by the end of this book because yeah everyone gets a happy ending (laughs) (laughs) yeah i just you know maybe i have a personal belief that not everyone deserves a happy ending but um, (laughs) that's just a a personal thing and i can suspend that but um i really did enjoy these set of chapters it was really interesting yeah i don't want to talk about the end yet because i'm gonna have so much to say about it but i oh i'm sure i will (laughs) (laughs) should we go ahead and do the notes then sure So since we had a lot of, we had was, this is kind of like the illness area and a lot of medical stuff happening. I thought uh-huh. it'd be interesting to kind of look up some like medical facts and like Ooh. just things about the, like the medical field about this time. Yes. So I kind of found this article on austinauthors.net called Medicine During the Regency, 10 Interesting Facts by Anna Elliott. And I was like, Anna Elliott, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's almost Anne Elliot. <laughs> it was meant to be. <laughs> exactly. But I thought it was really interesting. Um, so I'll kind of read End off. And of all of the characters to know the medical stuff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, they did this on purpose. <laughs> but some of the stuff I found out was that there was no system of like no official like medical school training during the Regency area and really not that many hospitals in general. Uh And that there were three classifications that people who practice medicine professionally could be, and that's physicians, surgeons, or apothecaries. And the amount of like social standing they had um, went with physicians being the most, then surgeons and apothecaries kind of being at the bottom. Okay. And let's see. What's the difference and between physician and surgeon? Or were you just about to say it? <laughs> I'm going to get to it because I also okay. had these questions. I was like, what are the differences? <laughs> <laughs> Something that's also very interesting is that physicians were the most expensive. So mm-hmm. a lot of times you'll see in certain books around this time, like maybe a Jane Eyre or something that a, if a servant or like someone of lower class is sick, they'll have maybe an apothecary called for them. But if a person uh-huh. of status is sick, got to get the physician, <laughs> got to pay the money. That's cool. Yeah. And so something else that was really interesting was like, you know, like I said, no medical schools, uh, uh, they kind of had to get most of their stuff from books. 
um, because also studying cadavers was technically illegal at this uh-huh. time. So they learned everything from books, but the books were not like constantly being updated. They were very old. Um, and then yeah. I, this is directly from the article. It says in the 1819, the licensing exam administered by the Royal College of Physicians required the candidate to translate passages from first century medical texts. Wow. <laughs> so they're very old. This is probably why a lot of those things we read about were like, why are you doing this? <laughs> it's been over a thousand years. Wow. I can't believe people were content to just die with no explanation for so long. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> consumption. It was all consumption. <laughs> okay. So here's where we kind of get into the nitty gritty of the differences between the three sets. Uh-huh. So physicians did not, they didn't conduct operations. They didn't set broken bones or and do any serious physical exams because working with their hands was not considered gentlemanly. So okay. all of those things would be done by a surgeon. So surgeon kind of does all the physical work of okay. any sort of physical abnormalities. So would a physician just prescribe drugs then? That I think. Um, and diagnose. Uh, that was the apothecary. So technically, oh, I think the, the physician, <laughs> the physician is kind of like a person who goes in and is like, I'm going to diagnose you and here's what you should take. And then the apothecary is someone who can make those prescriptions. Gotcha. Which is. I would have wanted to have been an apothecary in those days. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, maybe a woman could get a, away with it. Yeah. I would say because like a lot of the caretaking you see, I would say maybe and not. Anglo-Saxon areas was, I felt like a lot of time medical stuff was left to the women to complete. It was a lot more caretaking and the knowledge of Although, it was. Now that I think about it, it might be very dangerous because <laughs> they used to like prescribe some pretty dangerous <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But I just love the aesthetic of an apothecary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bag. That's that's yeah. mainly what I want. The bag and the vials. I like the little bottles. <laughs> <laughs> the little cork tops, please. But something that the article says is that if you think that you would have chosen a surgeon over a physician, you probably would reconsider because you didn't need a license to practice surgery back then. So anyone could do it. Oh, great. I love it when people come at me with a knife who have no idea what they're right. doing. <laughs> So yeah, an apothecary we talked about make a mix up prescription, but in a lot of very rural areas, there was only an apothecary. So they could also in those areas give medical advice. They were probably the smartest about it because they were the ones working most hands-on with the stuff, you know, and seeing mm-hmm. what worked and why didn't. <laughs> yeah. A lot in what I would consider if you're thinking about it in maybe more of today's kind of thing, as you know, a lot of nurses do the bulk of the work and Uh (laughs) spend a lot of time with the patients. So I would say apothecaries to nurses nowadays, probably a decent comparison. Yeah. This, (laughs) this fact, I kind of cackled that. It says since medical professionals are rare, expensive, and probably not terribly helpful much of the time, many women (laughs) learned basic nursing skills to care for their own families and add their own home remedies too. (laughs) even if you weren't one you would still know all the things anyways there's a a moment in the book where before marianne's really gotten sick or you know maybe just started to get sick and they're like all of the remedies were brought and all promptly ignored as usual (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh 
And, the, and there's an interesting Jane Austen fact with this. Mm. Martha Lloyd was a friend of Jane Austen who shared their home at Chawton and later married her brother, Frank. And she collected a lot of recipes for home remedies, including one for whooping cough, which Jane herself, we know, suffered from. Mm. And we could, here's, we can, I could read off Martha's cure, her home remedy for whooping cough. Yeah, let's hear it. It starts off very interesting. You have to cut off the hair from the top of the head as large as a crown piece. And then you take a piece of brown paper of the same size, dip it in a rectified oil of amber, and apply it to the part of nine mornings, dipping the paper fresh every morning. If the so cough is not head? removed, yes. So you cut like a piece of your, you cut the crown of your hair pretty much, and then you put that paper with the oil on it. And if uh-huh. the cough is not removed, try it again after three or four days. <laughs> Very oil of amber. Is that just like mm. melted down amber resin or whatever? I would think so. Let me look it up. I actually meant to look it up. Like old uh, ancient tree sap? <laughs> let's see. I, think I wonder so. if it had a certain smell, like a mentholated smell or something. Well, actually, they do burn amber as incense. So maybe like hmm. the smell of it or something helped. Yeah. I would think just put it on your chest <laughs> these days. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I always think I'm of like. like why you put it on the top of your head? I don't think yeah. anybody would really want to do that you know, cut the monk hole in their head. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, can I just put it on my chest? <laughs> put it on the area, please. <laughs> and then lastly, some like really interesting stuff about this time. We know about bleeding was a common quote unquote cure uh-huh. for ailments. And it was apparently thought that to reduce the blood flow was like the thing to do because even soldiers who had lost a lot of blood in battle would still get bled which obviously a lot of them would die. And then when you look at like the Napoleonic Wars, you see a lot of soldiers died after from complications, not during the war. And that was pretty much because of that. Mm -hmm. And then physicians at this time were not involved in childbirth. It was basically midwife or a monthly nurse. So it was a lot of women doing it. Men didn't get involved at all. (laughs) Um, Of course. So ran probably much smoother. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Although it was still very dangerous, and apparently yeah, three, and a, three of Jane Austen's brothers lost their wives in childbirth, which is pretty sad. Yeah, I think she had some sort of opinions on childbirth based on the fact that a lot of people she knew died during childbirth. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was very dangerous. And I'm sure it was not studied so that to make it less dangerous. We got the baby, who cares, is probably the thought. Yeah. But, and then lastly, it has like a quick little blurb about dentists. They're only found in larger cities. That's why in Emma, Harriet has to travel to London to consult a dentist because there's not a local one. Ah. But it wasn't considered like very important, very rudimentary. (laughs) You know, I feel like all of my, I don't even know, I don't don't think it's the same time period, but all of my knowledge of British Mm -hmm. uh, medicine comes from Outlander. Because there are just like whole chapters where she's doing surgery back in, you know, the 1700s or whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, she Ugh. knew what she was doing from a modern standpoint, but still there's like a lot of, you know, little historical facts and stuff about what other people right. <laughs> thought at the time. But yeah, yeah. It's... sometimes you have to have a, a good constitution to read out later. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Because I... um. I've listened to a couple podcast episodes about like physicians or like medicine about like 
before the 1900s and how, you know, they had to get basically steel bodies to practice. And sometimes they would just kill people. <laughs> and oh, yeah. it seems like very much Victorian like Victorian age, definitely. Like yeah. A... a wild west. Yeah. But still, I am so surprised that humans <laughs> went so long without <laughs> getting to that point. They lived through the whole plague and they're like, yeah, we'll just keep all this, you know, quackery. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, when you're reading books from the first century. <laughs> so this is the problem when science is not allowed to flourish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get to the recap. <laughs> let's do it. been now so long since i wrote this because <laughs> <laughs> it's tomorrow's april mm, and uh right. i wrote this in january <laughs> so <laughs> and i don't think it's coming out until like may so <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> at least we have the same text to go off of yeah i mean i reread it to this morning so but i don't know what i wrote back then if it was the same thing <laughs> probably the same thing i'll say <laughs> <laughs> okay so we start with okay just to remind ourselves the last thing that happened was colonel brandon asked eleanor to tell edward that he would give him the living at delaford because right. he felt for him after the whole thing came out right okay so chapter 40 which i called communication and miscommunication <laughs> <laughs> the theme of all Regency books. <laughs> <laughs> Potential Jane Austen title. <laughs> so Mrs. Jennings had, you know, in her mind, decided that Colonel Brandon had proposed to Eleanor. Right. <laughs> also, Eleanor is slightly freaking out over how to tell Edward about Colonel B's offer of a living. And Mrs. Jennings and Eleanor speak to each other at cross purposes for a while. <laughs> like, either <laughs> knowing what the other one is talking about. And Eleanor specifically can't be bothered to worry about the things Mrs. Jennings is saying that don't make sense. <laughs> She's just like, she said a lot of stuff that didn't make sense. I didn't bother to figure out what she was trying to say. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so after some antics, Eleanor still manages to convince Mrs. Jennings that, oh, to keep what she knows a secret, even though she doesn't know what she thinks She's trying to keep a secret. Right. <laughs> so Mrs. Jennings leaves and Eleanor sits down to write Edward a letter because she figures that'll be the easiest way to tell him. Yes. And just as she's thinking, yeah, writing this letter sucks, but at least I don't have to tell him face to face. Edward walks in. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Because right as he got there, Mrs. Jennings was leaving on her way out. And so she invited her him up. He was just going to leave his card to say goodbye. <laughs> leave it down. <laughs> but I, yeah, so Mrs. Jennings knew that she was writing him a letter. Anyway, Eleanor tells him, and he sits there with his mouth hanging open in surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I said he definitely has a glass face. One of those, like, <laughs> you can read everything he's thinking. <laughs> oh, 100%. This is the quote. He looked all... All the astonishment which such unexpected, such unthought-of information could not fail of exciting. But he said only these two words. Colonel Brandon? 
<laughs> so dramatic. This book is nothing if not dramatic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he thinks it's all Eleanor's doing and can't believe that she would be so nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> Although he can kind of because he thinks she's the best assist. Of course. <laughs> She tries to assure him that it was Colonel Brandon's idea entirely. She tells him that he will really like Colonel Brandon when he gets to know him. Once he gets to know him, as he will, considering how close they'll be living to each other. <laughs> because <laughs> they'll definitely get to know each other. I think I said it yes. all weird, but... <laughs> no, I got it. Okay. <laughs> I liked how she was like, trust me, this was all Colonel Brandon's idea, not mine. I promise. Because I feel like... The subtext of that was like, you don't understand how much I hate Lucy Steele. And <laughs> <laughs> I would not want her anywhere near anyone I would know. She's like, I don't like you enough to go out of my way to help you once you've broken right. my heart. <laughs> I just <laughs> exactly. want you to know that. Although she probably exactly. does like him enough. Oh, Eleanor. For whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> so... Edward made no answer, but when she had turned away her head, gave her a look so serious, so earnest, so uncheerful, as seemed to say that he might hereafter wish the distance between the parsonage and the mansion house much greater. Because he's imagining <laughs> that she's going to get married to Colonel Brandon. <laughs> right. He's like, I can't see it. I said, oh, Edward, you sweet little sap. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should be marrying a monster out of necessity. <laughs> um, I said I know so much of Edward's problems stem from his inability to stand up for himself and his desires but his jealousy over assuming Eleanor will marry Colonel Brandon is sweet <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is okay so he leaves and she thinks the next time I see him he'll be married to Lucy <laughs> <laughs> and then it's quote and with this pleasing anticipation <laughs> <laughs> which I just wrote ha <laughs> <laughs> she sits down to try and figure out everything he may have ever thought in relation to her and vice versa <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is I feel like we're getting past the like uh, Eleanor but more the like Jane Austen you're hilarious <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> so Mrs. Jennings comes home and they figure out their miscommunication from earlier and have a good laugh about it Mrs. Jennings also thinks that with an income of 200 pounds a year, that Edward and Lucy definitely will get married right away. She's like, Colonel Brandon's rich, so of course he doesn't think it's enough money, but it's way better than 50 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, chapter 41. Mrs. Jennings visits Lucy and finds her very happy by the news of the living. She goes so far as to declare how much she appreciated Eleanor's friendship and thinks her capable of everything good and is ready to worship Colonel Brandon as a saint. <laughs> Shout out, I wanna, Lucy. <laughs> I know. I was like, I want to think Lucy might actually be a good person after this paragraph, even if it is secondhand related by Mrs. Jennings. But right. I know she's a big fat fake liar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I don't trust a single word. This, today when I was re-listening to it I had to restart this chapter like three times to be like what is happening? Who is saying <laughs> what? <laughs> but I'm glad that I understood it when I read it and wrote it down correctly because I, <laughs> I couldn't figure it out this morning. Okay. 
So Eleanor really thinks they should go visit Fanny and John just to check on them for propriety's sake. <laughs> and Marianne refuses to go along, and even Mrs. Jennings dislikes them so much she can't make herself go see the look on Fanny's face <laughs> or to make pointed remarks. <laughs> I did kind of like that. I was like, oh, Miss Jennings is like, she gets it. She's like, oh, I hate, I, I hate Fanny so much. She's like, I can't even gloat. I hate her so much. I don't even <laughs> want to be in her presence to see her sour face. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's not going to stop Stone Cold Eleanor from going to satisfy her nope. morbid curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I know Austin doesn't imply that of her, and it's supposedly all a duty to her family thing, but in my opinion, there's only one reason to make the visit, and it isn't noble. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> it's, why we, it's why we all would, especially those of us who really dislike John and Fanny the most, we're like, yeah. we want to see how miserable they are. I want to see her hair falling out. <laughs> exactly. Eleanor is very nearly turned away at the door, but John accidentally stumbles into her on her way out, and completely unaware that he should act any differently, he invites her in. <laughs> <laughs> Surely Fanny would love to see her. <laughs> Surely, of course. <laughs> she always has expressed that desire. That's what always saves John, in my mind, from being the worst. It's just like... With no outside influences, he does, like, think the best of people, I think, usually, you know, like... Yeah. He's kind of money-crazy, but I think if there wasn't a Fanny or, you know... He's good-natured. He wouldn't be as greedy and, like, money-obsessed as he is if he didn't have someone like Fanny kind of pulling his string. Yeah. Definitely. So, she comes in, they talk over the offer by Brandon, and John knows that it has upset Fanny. (laughs) And Eleanor's like, why should it upset her? I thought he was dead to the family, that none of you cared about what happens to him anymore. Exactly. Also, why would his mother care that he won't be completely destitute? (laughs) And John is like, I guess you don't really understand human nature. She will always think of him as her son. (laughs) It's like, okay. Eleanor says, you surprised me. I should think it must be... Or I should think it must nearly have escaped her memory by this time. (laughs) I said, I love her bitchiness. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They're just so funny. Okay. So I am totally making sense, right? Because sometimes after I've said something, I'm like, what's that mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I get (laughs) it. That's a (laughs) Okay. So now John tells her they want Robert to marry Miss Morton. And Eleanor says, the lady, I suppose, has no choice in the affair. <laughs> and John is confused. <laughs> He's like, why would a woman have why, a choice? Why would she care? <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. Can, I know. He then confesses that his wife and mother-in-law have admitted that Edward marrying Eleanor would have been far preferable to him marrying her. I'm hmm. like, yeah, right. I'm sure if that had been the first thing, it would have been the same reaction. Exactly. And then Robert himself comes in and John runs off to fetch Fanny. And (laughs) Robert thinks it's hilarious to think of his brother as a curate. (laughs) (laughs) He's also, yeah, (laughs) he's ridiculous, Robert. He also saw Lucy once when she was staying there and thought Hmm. her the merest awkward country girl without style or elegance and almost without beauty. Almost. Hmm. Like let's let's uh let's hang on to that almost. Yeah, let's remember <laughs> this. 
<laughs> Finally, Fanny comes in and she seems out of sorts and confused. <laughs> she <laughs> even tries to be cordial to Eleanor and is sad the girls are leaving as she was hoping to see more of them. <laughs> I uh-huh. said, is she on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> She might be. <laughs> Maybe her apothecary, or no, she's rich, so her physician gave her right. some uh, some nice cocaine. I think they called him the doctor. Uh-huh. I can't remember because it's been a while since we recorded the last one. But <laughs> right. I remember Miss Jennings talking to the doctor. Mm. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was the physician. No, maybe, maybe that was the same thing. I just wrote it down as a doctor. <laughs> okay, they might so be the chap- same thing. Yeah, chapter 42. And I said... Oh, yeah. So soon it's early April, which, geez Louise, they've been there for a long time. And oh, yeah, we're matching right up with the time frame of the book now. That's <laughs> yeah, perfect. And they're finally off. <sighs> Mrs. Jennings, Mrs. Palmer, Eleanor and Marianne are all going together. They're spending two nights on the road so as to make for a more comfortable trip for Charlotte and the baby. Colonel Brandon and Mr. Palmer are coming by horseback, I guess. And are going to meet them there. And before they leave, Marianne has to go around and cry over everything she's leaving. As she's <laughs> wants to. <laughs> I, you know, we all know how much I love Marianne. But this part, I was like, girl, <laughs> quit crying, please. <laughs> uh, Eleanor isn't sad about leaving any of it. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, she was pleased to be free herself from the persecution of Lucy's friendship. <laughs> that <laughs> that is... doesn't sum it up. <laughs> exactly. Once they arrive at, what is it called? I don't remember the name of it. Oh, Cleveland. Once they arrive Cleveland. at Cleveland, we actually suddenly get to see the world through Marianne's eyes for a minute. Mm-hmm. She's been kind of, Yeah, she's been kind of absent from the story for a while. And she's looking at Cleveland. She likes it because she likes, oh, she likes Cleveland. She thinks it's pretty, (laughs) but she especially likes it because it's full of walks for her to go on. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the highest point and squint your eyes, you can maybe see the ridge where Willoughby's house is located. (laughs) (laughs) No, stay away from the ridge. But honestly, she just seems happy to finally be able to have some solitude and be able to like mm-hmm. walk around on her own without a million other people around her all the time. Right. Which I totally relate to. I'm like, I would feel like kind of like Marianne if I ended up at some country estate. I mean, even nowadays, if I ended up at a country estate, you better believe I would be rambling around the countryside the entire time I was there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if like... Uh that's like really all she needed like i wonder if this heartbreak have happened in a more rural setting like would she have had the time maybe to not (laughs) make herself ill to kind of cope with it when he left the first time she spent a lot of time wandering around alone and she didn't get sick so Mm. (laughs) she can't go on her planned twilight walk the first night though because it's raining (laughs) (laughs) it's really funny because it's like she could maybe have tried it if it was like sprinkling or just damp, but she, even she couldn't find the romance in <laughs> pouring down rain. And <laughs> <laughs> being soaked. But she manages to go out for the next three or four days. The men get there the day after them, and Mr. Palmer is surprisingly cool. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, oh God. Okay. So I wrote two examples of Eleanor's bitchiness. 
<laughs> on Mrs. Palmer, the openness and hardiness of her manner more than atoned for that want of recollection and elegance which made her often deficient in the forms of politeness. Her <laughs> kindness recommended by so pretty a face was engaging. Her folly, though evident, was not disgusting because it was not conceited and Eleanor could have forgiven everything but her laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Eleanor! It's so petty. Sometimes Eleanor is so petty. Like, like always this is why you I... don't have friends. <laughs> <laughs> I could forgive him, but she's so annoying when she laughs. So that was the first example. Example number two on Mr. Palmer. <laughs> she liked him upon the whole much better than she had expected. And in her heart was not sorry that she could like him no more, nor sorry to be driven by the observation of his epicurism, his selfishness, and his conceit. To rest with complacency on the remembrance of Edward's generous temper, simple taste, and diffident feelings. <laughs> I was like, I mean, is it any wonder that Cassandra burned all of Jane's letters? <laughs> okay, sorry to derail us with examples of Eleanor's bitchiness, but I think even today when I was rereading it, I was like, when she made fun of Mrs. Palmer's laugh, I was like, Eleanor. I can't with you. Yes. <laughs> it's just so petty. Like, it's just like, <laughs> it makes me laugh because it's like, I don't know. It's just like kind of gossip. It's like she's gossiping with herself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking of those Twilight Walks and Marianne's, their dampness and her not changing her socks when she came in had led to her coming down with a cold. <laughs> <laughs> Should change those socks. That's what we're told. The dampness of her socks. Because she couldn't be bothered to change her socks. I, okay, and then this is where old wives' remedies come in from all quarters. And Eleanor grows concerned enough to encourage her to try one or two. <laughs> <laughs> That's really raining now. Okay. Oh. Chapter 43, The Illness. <laughs> so Marianne really doesn't want to be sick and tries to act like she's fine and just needs more rest. Because they're on the verge of going home and had even planned to go back with Mrs. Jennings' servant and surprise their mother early when Marianne put herself to bed because she just couldn't sit up anymore. And that's when everybody knows that she really is sick. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this whole chapter, I was, when they were kind of describing how she was feeling, I was thinking, like, is it that we have more like coping medicines these days for like, colds and flu stuff um is that why like we're able to kind of function more and because it's not really killing us all the time or is it like she was very very ill i couldn't really tell well it seemed like for a couple days she was just kind of feeling bad but like i have occasionally when i've gotten like really sick you know there'll be that one moment where you're like i'm so tired I have to go mm -hmm. to sleep in the middle of the day. And then you know you're sick because you're like, I never do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. I could see it. Especially for her who's been trying to be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then she's like, I got to go to bed at three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and especially because she's not like she's, we know she hasn't really been eating at all and probably is not taking care of herself in other ways. So I'm sure her yeah. body is like, I have 1% battery. I can't even fight. <laughs> yeah. And who knows how much crying and pining she's been doing on these solitary walks <laughs> exactly exactly and i'm sure she's been exerting herself a lot so and you know it could just be a cold she's been in london it's probably a place for colds to happen 
I just imagine like the air in London and at that time. And a carriage ride for two days. I mean, mm. none of it is conducive to health in my opinion. No. <laughs> I wish I had known about your physician, surgeon, apothecary thing before totally. I wrote this because I just said they call for the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, I want to say he's the physician, if I remember correctly. I w- it makes sense. Because it's the Palmer's house. So they would yeah. be like, you know. Yeah. His name is Mr. Harris. Yes. He thinks that the disorder has a putrid tendency and allowed the word infection to pass his lips. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagined it like just being like Charlie Brown adults talking and then you hear infection <laughs> and everything just stops. Yes, it gave instant alarm to Mrs. Palmer. And he agrees with her that she and the baby should leave. Mr. Palmer promises to join her in a few days, but Mrs. Jennings can't be persuaded to leave. She's a good one. Mrs. Jennings, with a kindness of heart, which made Eleanor really love her. I said, Mm. okay. (laughs) (laughs) Declared her resolution of not stirring from Cleveland as long as Marianne remained ill and of endeavoring by her own attentive care to supply to her the place of the mother she had taken her from. And Eleanor found on every occasion a most willing and active helpmate, desirous to share in all her fatigues and often by her better experience in nursing of material use. Thank you. Thank you. This is what I've been waiting for, Eleanor. (laughs) (laughs) Be appreciative. We also, we can't keep forgetting, I think she's only 19, so... <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. She's only 19, but still, I, I get... I have the same reactions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it feels like a 19-year-old thing, 19 year old thing to do, to be like, yes. oh, this old lady, and then be like, oh, she's actually nice. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually when nice. When I actually need her. <laughs> Eleanor is keeping up her optimism and feels like Marianne is going to get better after every sleep. Mr. Palmer leaves, though he doesn't really want to, but he does feel more comfortable knowing that Colonel Brandon is there. Mrs. Jennings has to convince Colonel Brandon to stay, but everyone is glad that she does. And after three days and what seems like a downturn in Marianne, the doctor declares that she is getting better. Yay. (laughs) And Eleanor is being cheery and optimistic in her letters home. Unfortunately, the next day, Marianne takes a turn for the worse. She wakes up in a feverish stupor asking for her mother and concerned about her going to London because she she must be like half dreaming. And I wonder yeah. how much of it is like any sort of a laudanum or whatever they've put her on. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I'm wondering, like, it seems like her fever is pretty severe. And I know like if your fever is oh, severe enough, you could have like some light hallucinations yeah so eleanor is freaked out now and asks colonel brandon if he can call the doctor or surgeon i guess (laughs) or i mean physician physician (laughs) and wants to know how they can get mama there asap so colonel brandon sends for harris and he leaves to pick up mama himself and eleanor is very grateful for such a friend as colonel brandon the doctor however takes a sweet ass time getting there (laughs) (laughs) He isn't too concerned by her turn, but Eleanor stays up all night with her, watching her like a hawk for any signs of a change. The doctor comes back the next day and is more concerned. Mm-hmm. Marianne, only more quiet, 
not more herself, remained in a heavy stupor. And he still has more tinctures to try on her, though. <laughs> I was like, hopefully there's one with some willow bark in it, because I know that that's good for reducing fevers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was something of the sort. <laughs> and not just like laudanum or something like that, you know. <laughs> some sort of quote-unquote painkiller. sure they're all alcohol-based, honestly. <laughs> oh, sure. Built-in numbing. <laughs> so around noon that day, Eleanor thinks that she's seeing signs of improvement. She keeps it to herself, but the hope starts to creep back in. And at four o'clock, the doctor comes again and says, yes, she's over the worst of it. Yay. And this, yes, yay. <laughs> this gives <laughs> Eleanor confidence, comfort, and tears of joy. She stays glued to Marianne's side until six o'clock when Marianne finally seems to fall into a quiet, steady, comfortable sleep. Phew, uh, the worst of it is over. I guess this is a very specific chapter because I've written down like hour by hour what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it is very, it's, it wasn't like lengthy in the amount of information it would be given, but it was very hour, like literally hour by hour almost. And that's, yeah. <laughs> it made it feel a little longer. So finally at seven, she goes down to eat for the first time that day. <laughs> <laughs> And she's thinking the soonest her mother could arrive would be 10 o'clock. And she knows she won't be able to get any rest before then. So she sends Mrs. Jennings to bed while she waits up. And there's a real Northanger Abbey style thunderstorm going on outside that evening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very foreshadowing. <laughs> Very appropriate. Just like there is right now. <laughs> and at 8 o'clock, she could swear she hears a carriage. <laughs> she doesn't know how they could have gotten there so quickly because that's two hours prior than she thought was even the soonest they yeah. could possibly get there. But she peeks her head out the window and sees four horses and assumes that's how they got there so fast because they just added some extra horses to the carriage. Right. So she hurries down to greet them. I wrote down the quote. The bustle in the vestibule as she passed along the inner lobby assured her that they were already in the house. She rushed to the drawing room. She entered it. And saw only Willoughby. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it was definitely uh, that kind of moment. My hair was like kind of standing up and I was like, Ugh. I hate it, totally. but I love it. This is so soap opera. It fits so well with like the oh, Twin yeah. Peaks that we've been yes. watching. <laughs> okay. So chapter 44, which I titled Such a Chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Such it was. <laughs> so when Eleanor sees Willoughby, her first impulse is to walk out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> he begs her to stay. And she's like, you have no reason to talk to me. I guess no one told you Mr. Palmer is away. And he, sa he says, had they told me, he cried with vehemence, that Mr. Palmer and all his relations were at the devil and would not have turned me from the door. My business is with you and only you. Oh, God. <laughs> and then she says, with me in the utmost amazement. Well, sir, be quick. And if you can, less violent. And I said, don't write down every word of this chapter, Maya. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, though. So dramatic. <laughs> So Eleanor is in perfect form during this whole chapter. 
She starts off with a, pray be quick, sir. I have no time to spare. (laughs) (laughs) Willoughby heard from a servant that Marianne was out of danger and praises God. And Eleanor refuses to speak. He's kind of acting like a maniac. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, he's like really unhinged and is very emotional. And I'm sure for (laughs) Eleanor, she was like, (laughs) probably like a little bit like, what is going on a little bit like i'm a little bit afraid of him because well, he's she's probably a freak her nerves are already raw because she's been having all this emotion which you know she right. can't take it she doesn't like the emotion and now he right. comes in blasting her with even more emotion and she's like i can't have any of this get out of my sight <laughs> <laughs> she thinks he's drunk at first and again asks him not to, or asks him to leave and he's like i'm not drunk And then he explains that he drove there all the way from London that day. He left at 8 a.m., so he got there in 12 hours. Jesus. We know, because we know exactly what time it is. (laughs) So that's pretty fast, considering it took them two days. He says that his goal in speaking to her is to make her hate him one degree less than she does. (laughs) And then he launches (laughs) in. (laughs) He says when he first met Marianne, he didn't really care about her and just wanted to flirt her into liking him. He says, I endeavored by every means in my power to make myself pleasing to her without any design of returning her affection. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I love how eventually she's like, you're telling me this to make me hate you less or (laughs) (laughs) more. (laughs) It says, Miss Dashman at this point, turning her eyes on him with the most angry contempt, stopped him by saying, it is hardly worthwhile, Mr. Willoughby, for you to relate or for me to listen any longer. I love that. He he insists that she hear the whole of it. This is one of my favorite parts in the 80s one. I love Eleanor during the scene where she's just like, Oh, yeah. Fuck off, Willoughby. Yes. (laughs) There's something special about the 80s one where they're both the sisters are particularly like very cutting with their looks and their remarks. Oh, yes, definitely. (laughs) Okay, so he says. He was never super rich and always spent more than he had and relied on Mrs. Smith's inheritance. Still, he had notions already that he needed to marry a rich woman. Like he already knew this before he met them. He says he loved Marianne, though it could be doubted since he left her and all. (laughs) Well, can't argue there. To avoid comparative poverty, which her affection and her society would have deprived of all its horrors, I have, by raising my affluence, lost everything that could make it a blessing. Hmm. So Eleanor actually starts to soften a little, realizing that he did love Marianne. Hmm. That he wasn't just <laughs> lying to them for months. He says he had resolved on asking Marianne to marry him a, a few hours. A few hours was all it took to change everything. <laughs> That's what it says. After he left them, he had resolved to marry her, and he went home to find Mrs. Smith pissed as hell at him (laughs) (laughs) someone had told her about eliza and maybe colonel brandon i assume yeah whoever it's kind of implied yeah she told him he had he had to marry her or she would disown him Hmm. eliza i mean mrs smith told him he had to marry eliza or she would disown him right she was already pissed at him because he came to town whenever he he would come to town but he never spent any time with her so right. I can just imagine Mrs. Smith. Like, how did I get saddled with the most worthless? Right. What is he? He's a, a garbage. 
So when Eleanor remembers Eliza, because he mentioned her, she's freshly ang- angry with him again. <laughs> so was I. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, but just because I was bad doesn't mean she didn't want it. And uh, supposedly he didn't know she was pregnant and simply forgot to give her his mailing address. So he's just uh, basically trying to put the blame on her. Yeah, a child. Let's not forget, a child. (laughs) And Eleanor says, your indifference towards that unfortunate girl is no apology for your cruel neglect of her. Do not think yourself excused by any weakness on her side and the wanton cruelty so evident on yours. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Eleanor. (laughs) This is when we love you. (laughs) Yes, I love this, Eleanor. So Willoughby already knew his current wife wanted him. And so after Mrs. Smith kicked him out, he thought about what he should do and decided to go marry her. (laughs) Pick the easiest (sighs) solution. (laughs) But he had to tell the Dashwoods first, if for no other reason than to not draw suspicion onto himself over the whole Eliza thing. But it really affected him when Marianne was so affected (laughs) and ready to give him the benefit of the doubt about his leaving and so assured that it was temporary and he says, oh, God, what a hard-hearted rascal I was. <laughs> <laughs> Not the particular words I would have chosen, but sure, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I guess time specifically, maybe. Maybe it's harsh. It's a harsh thing he's saying about himself. To be a rascal. <laughs> a hard-hearted rascal. <laughs> I imagine there was a lot more cussing that Jane also just couldn't include. yeah i've always had my suspicions (laughs) (laughs) okay so eleanor is impatient for him to leave and is like so what about that horrible letter you wrote and he explains that when he got marianne's letter that she was in london it was like a lightning bolt (laughs) (laughs) he had been well on his way to convincing himself that she was over him and that he was over her and from that time on he seems to have lightly been stalking them for no other reason than to avoid them. Yes. (laughs) I was like, this is very creepy. (laughs) I feel like this is what makes me say, no wonder Marianna Willoughby like loved each other so much because they are so similar and they're like just passionate way they talk and everything. Oh yeah. Very over the top. (laughs) I feel like they both, I don't think we classified either of them as Leos, but in certain ways, I feel like they both have Leo Mercuries, which would probably imply that they are close to being a Leo. But um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, (laughs) because they both talk like like I talk. (laughs) (laughs) They're just so they're both. And I, I personally, I believe it's like for different reasons, but they're both just so passionate about whatever they're trying to get across. Yes. <laughs> Lightly stalking. Okay. So then the party. <laughs> he saw on one side, Marianne, like an angel, gazing her love at him. And on the other, his future wife, Sophia. Although on the audiobook, Rosamund Pike said Sophia. You know how like it always looks like Maria, but they say Mariah. I wasn't sure if Sophia was like a way to say Sophia back in the day, but 
I guess. I do not I like that. I was that. like, what? That's weird. I don't, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> anyway, so on that side, his wife, Sophia, was jealous <laughs> as the devil and looking daggers at him. <laughs> <laughs> and he left as soon as he could, but not before seeing Marianne's face turn white as a ghost. And it was that death pallor or, yeah, that death pallor was the face that he imagined the whole way there from London. Ooh-hoo. So then when he got the other letter from Marianne that next morning, uh, Sophia saw it arrive and read it. <laughs> and she made him turn out his pockets and found the other letters and the lock of hair. And she then recited the letter that he was to write in return. And... He really seemed to be upset to lose these tokens from Marianne. But I was like, I'm sorry, but I don't, I feel totally sympathetic with Sophia in this situation. Yeah. Like, if the man I was about to marry had this secret lover, does she even know about Eliza? I mean. Exactly. She probably doesn't. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's very, like, as much as, like, maybe because we love Marianne, you want to be like, Sophia is very rude, whatever. I mean, she, you know, she's going to marry this person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she may have dictated the letter, but, you know, Willoughby could have written an addendum to that letter very easily. <laughs> exactly. He could have explained himself in London. He could have just gone and delivered the letter in my hand and been like, let me explain. <laughs> but yeah, stop trying to blame all the women in your life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then Eleanor says, you are very wrong, Mr. Willoughby. Very blamable. <laughs> <laughs> she said, while her voice, in spite of herself, betrayed her compassionate emotion, you ought not to speak in this way, either of Mrs. Willoughby or my sister. You had made your own choice. It was not forced on you. Uh-huh. I mean, we're still saying that to this day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> still, she believes that he has removed something a little of his guilt. He's less faulty and his heart less wicked than she had believed him. And I said, I don't know that that's saying much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He wants to know if she will tell her sister. And she says, I will tell her all that is necessary to what may comparatively be called your justification. (laughs) (laughs) And she still wants to know why he decided to come here now. Don't we all? He says that he ran into Sir John, who hasn't bothered to speak to him since the whole debacle came out, which I'm like, good for you. You managed you managed yes. your resolution, Sir John. <laughs> he tried his best. But he really wanted to torture him a little, so he told him as bluntly as possible that Marianne was at Cleveland dying of a putrid fever. <laughs> <laughs> and Willoughby is unable to conceal his horror actually managed to garner John Sir John's sympathy. So much so that he remembered that he had once promised him a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Sir John has a big heart. <laughs> yeah, a little too big. <laughs> uh, Willoughby couldn't take the thought of her dying while thinking him a black-hearted villain. Hmm. So he ran over. <laughs> Whatever. And then he goes off to comb Magna. And Eleanor, for her part, does forgive him and pity him and was even interested in his happiness. Okay. Oh, I guess he 
well, he for a second is like, I guess even if my wife were to die, I wouldn't have a chance with her. <laughs> and Eleanor is like, let me stop you there. She will <laughs> never, ever be any more lost to you than she already is. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, let's not even get it. <laughs> uh, he says... But she will be gained by somebody else. And the person I could least spare would be Brandon. <laughs> Good. <laughs> then he says, goodbye and God bless you. And practically runs out the door. <laughs> Whatever. Boo-hoo. Goodbye, Willoughby. <laughs> <laughs> I just was like, what an egotistical maniac. I know, but thank you for providing us with all the drama of that chapter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I appreciated the drama. It did not change any my, any thought in my head. It only made you seem worse to me. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, at least we know that he was actually in love with Marianne. He really loved the family and he was going to propose. So he wasn't lying to them the whole time, which is a good thing. Yeah, no, that doesn't just... excuse anything else. But... <laughs> right. <laughs> to me, it almost makes it seem worse because his whole idea was like, I couldn't, I just can't be poor. I have to be rich and I have to choose that over love. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, there are so many opportunities. I mean, it is kind of, I could see how you could think of it as worse, definitely. But like, I, I mean, I think it would be worse if he was just like a con artist who was after something right i just it just feels like there were so many opportunities for him to just be honest with marianne and come clean and then none of this would have happened but he never considered her feelings on it he was just like basically like i'm just gonna lie to her because i don't want to deal with it i mean if he were well i guess eleanor is probably comparing him to edward and being like well Edward would never have gotten her pregnant. Edward right. stayed with her even though he doesn't like her. And, you know, the right thing for Willoughby to have done would have been to be what Mrs. Smith said and go off Mary and marry Eliza. Eliza from the beginning. And then he probably could have still gotten her money, you know? Exactly. And he would have had Eliza's money. Well, it's just like... Yeah, I guess Colonel Brandon has money, so Eliza would have money. It's just like he was, he like still doesn't get it because he's like, well, I didn't know she was pregnant. No one told me. And I was like, yeah. that's not the point. <laughs> you totally did the same thing that you did to Marianne and to her. And she, I think, was younger than Marianne. Yeah. Uh, so it makes it gross. It's just it's like he never is like, there's no accountability. It's <sighs> to me, all his like quote unquote, like self deprecation and, like accountability that he's trying to take, it seems so performative and so like, like please don't think of me badly. Yeah. Don't you see like how I feel bad about it? Like yeah. it's never authentic to me. He's kind of. It feels like he's performing what a romantic hero should do in a situation such as his. Like, exactly. oh no, the woman I actually love is dying, and I have to run to her side, even though she. But he does seem at least aware that he's behaving the way he's behaving. <laughs> you know, like he at least is self-aware enough to know. Yeah. To a certain extent. But it's, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like that thing of he's aware of how horrible his actions are, but it's like 
do you not have any self-control? Like, you're just like, I know how bad they are. I'm going to do them anyways. No, because no Regency man with money had to have any self-control. <laughs> the whole and society like, was built on them being able to do whatever they wanted to do. <laughs> exactly. That's and I'm like, opinion. you want me to feel bad because you spent all your money? <laughs> you got yourself in this position. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this chapter is the one that most makes me say, okay, this is all a big soap opera. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> I Maybe should love... be taking it all so seriously. <laughs> yes. I would love to see a telenovela style <laughs> reinterpretation of this section just to be like, all the drama, all the pretend falling. <laughs> I know. I, I would it. like you know, Emma Thompson to just put out this scene. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen it. <laughs> Even if it didn't fit in with the movie, which I think it could have. I mean, I don't see why. Oh, yeah. But uh, I think she just took it out for time, from what I remember. Mm. But such a good like, scene. I know. Because, like, but... I think to most people, it kind of, like, gives that little bit of leeway for Willoughby to, for them to be like, oh, maybe, okay. He's not like an evil person. Yeah. Whatever, whatever. But to me, it just makes me feel like, uh, like Marianne really dodged a bullet. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I love that Eleanor is the one having this scene. Like of all the people, (laughs) she's like, yeah, get through me first, Willoughby. (laughs) Exactly. And it's my favorite kind of Eleanor when she's like being very protective of Marianne and very like, like almost like taking care of other people. I'm like, this is like when Marianne seems to shine. I mean, Eleanor, excuse me. Yes, yes. Because it's like when she's making the rational judgments about people, you know, like Willoughby, uh, you know, whenever he's trying to justify himself and she's like, don't even try it with me, buddy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I see right through you. (laughs) I'm smarter than you think. But that's it. What was your favorite part? (laughs) (laughs) Um, hmm. I kind of... I really enjoyed hearing about Marianne's like night walks in a way I kind of like really envisioned like oh if I lived in a place like that I would totally go out at night and just like have like the really cool moonlight and all like the trees swaying like it'd be so pretty (laughs) and I was like I kind of want to do that (laughs) oh my god I want to go to England and just go to the countryside so bad (laughs) (laughs) me too it just sounds so pretty (laughs) Just drive around. Yes. Someday. <laughs> Someday. But, you know, as much as I, you know, dislike Willoughby, I did enjoy the dramaticness of the last chapter. Yeah. It was so ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I love that chapter. It's definitely one of my favorite it's parts really of good. this whole book. So I have to definitely say that's my favorite. I do, though. I I enjoy reading the book and realizing the specificity of like the timing of the whole mm-hmm. illness thing because oh, yeah. you know Jane Austen really experiments with that like how much mm-hmm. are we going to tell you exactly what's going on and what time it is and how much are we just going to like you know time is passing we're not going to really <laughs> let you know right. how much it is <laughs> there was a lot of time in these sets of chapters because like them being able to come back home and when they first left Eleanor was thinking oh we're only gonna be gone for like January <laughs> you know she was like we'll be back before Edward even comes to town right. and they were there for at least three whole months 
God. I It has felt like we've been in London forever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but like the whole Willoughby thing, I feel like it's where they both, it's kind of like a scene in which they both shine. Eleanor, because yeah. she's behaving in the way I like her the most behaving, and Willoughby mm-hmm. just because like he's putting all of his passionate douchebaggery to its best effect. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's at the very least putting on a show for us. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so we've we've reached a problem <laughs> with the deep dive. Oh. Because I already did all the good characters. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and this chapter doesn't really have that many characters. So no. I should have saved Willoughby, but I didn't. So the only people right. I really thought of from these chapters that we haven't done was the physician, maybe, Mr. Harris, although I don't know he that could. we could really do a deep dive on him, or Mrs. Palmer would be a good one too. Mm-hmm. Let's do Mrs. Palmer. Even though she's, she's not in these chapters that much, but like she's, she's mentioned. <laughs> she's definitely worthy of being sorted. And they're at her house. <laughs> exactly. So Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. I was thinking she's got to be an air sign because she just loves to talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gemini. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> I like the air sign because that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but not an air sign in the way that Eleanor is an air sign. An air sign in like a, like a Gemini, you know, just like a, mm. I can just talk to anyone about anything, no problem. And I can switch subjects right. and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She's very much one of those people who is like, doesn't mind going to like a party by herself because she's like, I'll make friends. I'll talk to yeah. anyone. I don't care <laughs> about anything. Yeah. And I feel like she's gotta be like something really sweet and nice. Like, um, I mean, I always want to say Taurus for something, for like, <laughs> you know, just a friendly person who's just like optimistic. I don't know if that's appropriate, but that's what I think of when I think of Taurus. <laughs> so maybe like a Taurus rising or a Taurus moon or something. Okay. Yeah. I think a Taurus moon would actually be good because she doesn't ever seem that like affected by other people's comments so like i don't feel like yeah she gets that emotionally upset about stuff and taurus is earth so i think of that as more like of a grounded moon yeah it's like yeah because she's got like kind of that like dichotomy of like nothing bothers her and so she's kind of like really fixed but then there's also like the fluidity of gemini where she really can fit into anywhere and was willing to go with the flow and It's not really, like, going to be changed by much. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So, chaotic good? Yeah. (laughs) Is that our first chaotic good? (laughs) Maybe. She's definitely chaotic. (laughs) Yeah. And I I would say good, because she always is wanting to do the good thing. Yeah. She seems very good-hearted. Yes. And David Lynch? Oh, gosh. Um... I feel like it's got to be a Twin Peaks character. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe <I> Lucy? Think... <laughs> yeah, Lucy feels like that. Or I would even say a Nadine. <laughs> yeah. It feels like Nadine can talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. 
Nadine definitely has a chaotic energy. <laughs> it depends if you're talking about Nadine from the beginning of the series or Nadine from where we are now. Oh gosh, I hmm, I would say maybe more from the beginning. No, Nadine from no? the beginning was depressed. <laughs> she just well, I don't know because like right now she doesn't feel as chaotic as she did in the beginning. You don't think so? No, I, I, I kind of feel like... energy doesn't feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I feel like she was in the beginning a little bit more unhinged and a little bit less predictable. And now she mm. kind of just tells you what she wants and she goes and gets it. Yeah. I feel like she's more optimistic, which makes me think of Charlotte more That's now true. than she was in like the beginning. That. But yeah, maybe. I think I think she of could... her as the Emma Thompson Charlotte. Like, that's the one that mm-hmm. sticks in my brain <laughs> the most. The one that <laughs> yeah. screams down the hall. Ah! <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also thought, I mean, she's l- way less kind of bubbly than Norma, but Norma does kind of fit with her vibe a little bit. And like, she's very fluid, very kind of like can talk to anyone and is very sweet. I kind of think of Norma as a Mrs. Jennings. And since she is Mrs. Jennings closest to her daughter, that's true. I would say that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Okay. Well, that's it then. <laughs> Was there <laughs> more? Uh, I guess we could do final thought. Final thought. <sighs> oh, I can't believe we're almost done. <laughs> I know. It's crazy to think that we only have one more chapter set and we get our conclusion. Yeah. I was I'm like, excited. oh, it's just a wrap up. And I was like, no, there's still several important things that happen in the next set of chapters so yeah we've got like six more chapters yeah and we gotta get some happy endings up in here (laughs) so far things (sighs) look bleak (laughs) (laughs) i'm excited i'm not saying there's no just desserts but i can't wait to get to the final chapter (laughs) me too but we need some happy endings we at this point it kind of looks like there will be no happy endings yeah, at least well, for that's our how, favorite girls. <laughs> right. That's how it always looks right before everything just works out. It's true. It's almost like narrative theory on how stories work. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works out. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but there was none of that when Jane Austen, she was doing it completely by feel. Right. You know, based on other novels. I was just listening to the one that came out this week, which Kristen was our guest, and she was talking about how this is the beginning of the novel mm-hmm. form even existing. Like, I mean, not the very, very beginning, but still early on. Yeah, very early stages. Which makes me, because this book, I don't even know if we've talked about it. Maybe that would be a good thing for notes for the next one. Mm-hmm. But like, this one started out as an epistolary novel, like a series of letters. And I'm sure that there's uh-huh. some... I'm sure that there are people have done comparisons to like what it started off as and where it, I don't know how much of the original exists, but that would be right. interesting to learn about. Yeah, I agree. Do you have any other final thoughts? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I'm interested to see, you know, how much I remember from the adaptations <laughs> and what lines up. Oh, yeah, because that's the one thing the adaptations can never really do is the wrap mm-hmm. up. I feel like hmm. just because. I don't know. Just the way Jane Austen handles it is so funny. And without like a narrator narrating it, you just can't really get the humor. That same effect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so excited to get to it. 
I think my final thoughts are probably a little scattered because I feel like I'm losing my voice. So <laughs> <laughs> no, you sound great. Well, should we uh, do our recommendations on what we're yes. enjoying? God, I don't even think I thought of anything. <laughs> I can go first. Okay, you go first. I'm going to recommend a movie. I I know it's like definitely by the time this comes out, it'll be post Oscars. But I finally watched Power of the Dog, and I really loved it. I thought it was ah. so good. It was so beautiful. I mean, it was shot in New Zealand. So, of course, everything is rolling hills and gorgeous plains and blah, blah, blah. Is that um, the one Benedict Cumberbatch didn't take a bath for? Yes. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned that because I had heard about that before, too. And the whole time I was watching it, I was like, this is real dirtiness. This is not. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like a fact. This is real dirtiness and it's gross. But I will say he was pretty phenomenal in it and everyone was just really good in it Christian um, is in it too right yeah and she's great I love, I love her too and I can't believe that this was her first Oscar nomination which feels like what she should have gotten an Oscar for drop dead gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> in my opinion yes and she also <laughs> should have been nominated for the beguiled and I'm not the only person who uh I never saw that I loved it I thought it was I great. meant to watch that when it came out and I never watched it yeah, I enjoy Sofia Coppola and it had Nicole Kidman and Kirsten Dunst. I was like, you can't convince me not to watch it. But <laughs> this, uh, it was just a great movie. I love movies that are kind of like around, it was like early 1900s, but because it was like in the middle of nowhere, it was kind of like late 1800s. And it's like that thing where like the railroad system is kind of starting to take off. And mm. I just love that time period, something about it. But everyone was phenomenal. Everything looked great. And had a awesome. very cool ending, I will say. It was very, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Well, did I, I think I'll recommend The Expanse. I don't know if I've recommended it before. Oh. I know I read the book and I think I recommended the book. Mm -hmm. Maybe I also recommended the series, but the last season, which I don't know if it's the final, final last season or if it's just the last season for a while, but... Um, mm. I've been watching the last season with my dad. We only have one more episode left and I don't know how they're going to wrap it all up in one more episode, but like, <laughs> it's such a great sci-fi show. I definitely think I've recommended it before. <laughs> or maybe, uh, maybe you and Josh have talked about it because I know he watches it. Yeah. It's so good. I also started Moon Knight last night oh, and it looks so like good. it's going to be really good. I am still really like, I got to watch it again because I have no idea what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very scary which i really liked yeah now that they are got the adult version of disney <laughs> or the you can censor right. it from your children portion of disney <laughs> yeah yeah we saw that yesterday and i was like okay but it was very good and i just love oscar isaac he's so good in everything yeah it was really good i do want to watch it again me too which is a good sign but I also feel like I need to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I feel like it's satisfying this little bit of uh, like Egyptian kind of history that yeah. I feel like you go through a phase when you're a kid because you learned about it in school and in museums <laughs> and you're like, I just love Egyptian history. And yeah. it kind of is touching that nerve for me where I'm like, I really do love Egyptian history. <laughs> it is really interesting. There's that one 
uh, was it Ahmet, the alligator? Mm-hmm. Yes. God. But I just remember, I don't know if it was Ahmet or if it was, um, who's the the actual god? Who the moon judges, god? Who the oh. scales. Um, uh, let me see. It was, it's was, similar. No. It's like a... Hold on. Anubis? Anubis. Anubis is in American Gods. Oh. Which I really liked that the book and the series was really good. Although, also might have missed the last season of that one. <laughs> <laughs> My, I used to be such a completionist. I don't know. Something about maybe starting the podcast or just <laughs> quarantine or I don't know what has happened to me. But I'm like... I just forget about stuff completely. <laughs> yeah, I've kind of entered that phase too. It might be the quarantine because I was watching two shows at once and I was like really into them. And then all of a sudden I was like, I don't really care anymore. I don't want to do this. <laughs> I pretty much only now watch the thing that I specifically want to watch. Like, I right. don't feel any loyalty to any show anymore. <laughs> like, I have to watch it. I'm just like, no, I just want to watch what I want to watch. There's not enough time. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> there's you know you gotta make time for yourself what are you finishing like it for i'm in a weird mood for this podcast <laughs> it's been such a weird week i feel like april yeah. fools is tomorrow but i feel like this whole week has been trying to play <laughs> april fools jokes on me all week <laughs> yes it has felt like a joke <laughs> <laughs> today i tried to i don't I, you might have seen it well you're not on facebook but you yep. saw i posted the picture of the basket stinkhorn and yes. the caption was stinky stinky stinkhorn because it smells mm-hmm. really horrible <laughs> and when i went to post it it said this post contains language which has been deemed problematic in other posts are you sure you want to post it and i'm like what, what stinky stinky is the language because <laughs> that's the only word i said stinky stinky stinkhorn <laughs> maybe people are calling each other stinkhorns now <laughs> I was like, I'll risk it. I don't think anyone's going to report me for a picture of a stinkhorn mushroom. (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) I can't imagine why. (laughs) I mean, it's probably going to get like two likes, so I don't really know that worried. (laughs) That's so interesting. Oh, Facebook. I don't miss you. The world is becoming increasingly ridiculous. (laughs) I just, ridiculousness around every corner. I really have barely look at social media anymore. Which is a problem for the podcast because I am no good at promoting it. So if you guys want to share our posts, we would really appreciate that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right now, I can only uh, surmise uh, looking at pretty pictures on Instagram. I can't do anything else social media related. <laughs> I just Even that is like too sanity. dangerous because they're trying to sell me too much stuff. <laughs> yep. I can't take I've... it. I've had to suspend that for 30 days because <laughs> I was like, please leave me alone. Mm-hmm. So anyway, weird mood. Okay, so <laughs> if you would like to contact us, though, I promise I will care about you on social media. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can email us at mannersandmadness at gmail.com. You can DM us on Twitter at mannersmadness or on Instagram at mannersandmadnesspod. Or you can leave a one-minute voicemail on our website at mannersofmadness.com. Yes, and you can also support us if you're inclined. We also decided not to bother with a Patreon. (laughs) But we do have a support button. If you would like to give us a couple bucks, we'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. Next week, we are doing our last... Well, not really our last... Our last 
for like two weeks <laughs> episode <laughs> of Twin Peaks, which will be 18. Mm. And then mm. we will have the finale of Sense and Sensibility 45 through 50. Feels crazy to think about it. I know. And then we'll be like, probably start Sanditon. I did right. that with the Ugh. final Twin Peaks episodes. I started watching Ugh, that, wait. though. I guess I could have said that. Uh, I meant to, and I completely forgot. I'm out <laughs> well, it's only been out for, like, so. two weeks, so we still got plenty of time to catch up. <laughs> definitely. And I could do- definitely see myself binging it, so. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> I'm sure it's perfect. I'm just, I'm excited to see new characters, but also have our favorites come back and... Yes. So far, in many ways, I like it better than first season, but Ooh. it's also maybe not as good in certain ways. So mm. we'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> oh, for sure. But that's it for this week. So we'll see you guys next week. Yes. Thank you for listening. Bye. Good night.